Our Bible reading this morning is from Hebrews 11, verse 32, to Hebrews 12, verse 2. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Claire. Uh, yeah, do, um, if, you, if you want to know more about Acts, Acts, yeah, Acts 29, our involvement with that, like, do chat to me, because um, this is not just something for me. This is uh, our church is part of this, and, and um, yeah, it's, it's just... I find that stuff comforting because it makes me feel that we're part of something bigger, um, which is great. Um, so this morning, uh, we're continuing in Hebrews, ele- uh, Hebrews 11, this series, Jesus is Better. Uh, this week, I read a story about a guy called Frederick Lors. Anyone heard of Frederick Lors? No, why would you? But Frederick was born in 1884 in New York, and he was a bricklayer, um, good, honest trade. And in 1904... Uh, he competed in a special event, a special running race, in which the top eight finishers uh, had the chance to then, uh, they would receive a paid trip to compete in the marathon at the Olympics in St. Louis on the, uh, St. Louis? Or St. Louis? St. Louis? American. St. Louis. Right, cool. Um, on the 30th of August that year. So Lors, I don't know where he finished, but he made the cut and off he went to the Olympics. And so when the day of the Olympics came, the marathon... Um, he set off running the race. But after nine miles, he did a wee sneaky sneaky and got into his manager's car. And his manager then drove him uh, a bit of the way because he was totally exhausted. He drove a bit of the way. And uh, with just uh, a, a couple of miles to go, he, he, he got out of the car and then ran into the stadium and stumbled across the line and won the race. And everyone was astounded. Everyone was like, yeah, you're the, the winner. Um, now, I don't know what you think about Frederick when you hear that story. Um, maybe you think, that's awful, what a cheat, like that guy, how could he even do that? Or maybe you're thinking, yeah, well, he, he, he shouldn't have cheated, but um, I hope that he came clean in the end and we all make mistakes. Or maybe you're one of those people, you're like, what a genius, like absolute genius. That's the only way to run a marathon. That's my kind of marathon, to be honest. I hate running um, 
God gave us bikes and cars and trains and all kinds of other things so that we wouldn't have to run. Why put yourself through that? Um, but the point in the story isn't that, uh, so we start thinking about whether George, George whether Frederick was right or wrong. Um, it's not to get us thinking about ethics of professional athletes or anything like that, but I do want us to see that a little bit of Frederick in all of us, because enduring through something difficult isn't easy, is it? That's why it's called endurance, right? If it was easy, we'd call it I don't, like sailing or gliding or cruising or something. And I love hearing about feats of endurance. I love it. I, I've been watching a lot of documentaries recently about a Scotsman called Bart, Mark Beaumont. Anyone know Mark Beaumont? No. This is the kind of nerdy part of me. Um, he's an endurance, endurance cyclist. In 2015, he cycled the length of Africa from Cairo to Cape Town, uh, completely unaided, on his own, uh, 6,750 miles, and he did it in 41 days. Just incredible. In 2017, he cycled around the world, like completely around the world, uh, in 78 days and 14 hours, from Paris to Paris. And I love watching these amazing feats, and I love watching them uh, doing this cycle. And, and, and day, for me, I'm like daydreaming, oh, someday I'd love to do something like that. And I even like, fantasize that I would be the kind of person that could do that. But in all honesty, I'm probably a little bit more like Frederick Lors. I'm, especially when it comes to faith, I'm probably more of a Frederick than I am a Mark. When it comes to running the race of faith in Jesus, like towards that finish line of him coming again, we, we all, like we know this, we all feel that overwhelming temptation uh, just to pack it in, to jump in the car or to even just fall down at the grass at the side of the road and go to sleep. And yet here in Hebrews 11 and 12, not only does God tell us that we're in a race, he tells us that we need to run that race with endurance. 12 verse 2 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And, and this, this, kind of, this command is, is a bookend to chapter 11. The first bookend comes at the end of chapter 10 when, when the author says, you are in need of endurance. So he says, you're in need of endurance. And then he gives all these examples of, of faith that we've seen over the past few weeks. And then he says, okay, so let us also run with endurance. You're in need of endurance. Here's some people who had endurance. Now you go and do the same. Now, I think it's fair to say that we are in need of endurance. We all know that. Um, apart from the fact that we're all lazy and sinful, because we are. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but we are. Um, but we do feel this mounting pressure of uh, having faith in Jesus, don't we? It feels like things are getting a little bit more tense. We feel that tension of the, 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 the tension following Jesus creates between us and the world, puts us at odds with people. We all know the areas of our worldview as Christians that puts us at odds with the opinions of other people and even makes people angry with us. So I want to look at this passage and see how we can run with endurance. And we're going to see three things this morning. Faith that conquers, faith that endures, and faith that looks to Jesus. So let's start with faith that conquers. In this last section of Hebrews 11 that Claire read, um, he, he lists things that happen as a result of living by faith. And the first set of results is pretty positive, right? And I've called that conquering. And the second set of results of living by faith is pretty negative, so I'd call that endurance or enduring. 
Now listen to what happens uh, to the conquering, the, the, the conquering set of uh, things that happen when you live by faith. This, this is 32 to 35 again. He lists these people. He says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, uh, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And we're going to stop there in the middle of that verse. Now remember what I've said about Hebrews all along. I'm convinced this is a sermon. And this is one of the places where I think this is definitely a sermon because he does that preacher thing. He's like, look, I don't have time to say this, but then he just goes on to say it anyway. Like I do that all the time. Look, we don't have much time. Like, I don't have time to go into you know, Gideon and Barak and Samson and so on. And so he gives this list of examples um, uh, of, of faith throughout the history of Israel. And he still hasn't got through everyone. He only gets so far as the Israelites getting into the promised land. And then he must have realized that time was running out. And so he says, look, I don't have time to go into any more. Um, but he assumes that his audience knows what he's talking about. The audience that, that he was talking to would have known the acts of faith of each of these people. And so as soon as he mentions people like Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and, and David and Samuel and all the prophets, they would just have known, oh, I can recall all these things. Now, I don't know if you know these stories or not. I would advise you to go back and read them. But, but out of these people he mentions here, there's one thing that stands out. They all inc accomplished incredible things through their faith in God and their obedience to Him. They were all deeply flawed, you see. It was nothing to do with them. In some cases, they did awful things. But still, they're mentioned here by the author as, as, as heroes of faith, as examples of faith to look to for encouragement and inspiration. And I guess the side point of all this would be that God uses deeply flawed people to accomplish incredible things, which is so encouraging for me because I am deeply flawed. God doesn't require us to be perfect, right? He doesn't require us to be the, the finished article. If we were, we wouldn't need faith. If we, if we were perfect, we, we would already be there. We wouldn't need faith. God uses His broken and sinful and messed up people like me and like you to accomplish incredible things. Gideon, if you go back and read the story of Gideon, one of the judges of Israel, he defeated the entire Midianite army with only 300 soldiers. 300. Barak and Samson, uh, they, by faith, had incredible victories for God's people. David, as a teenage boy, by faith, defeated a giant warrior. He goes on to talk about others who, by faith, conquered kingdoms and forced justice. He mentions Daniel without saying his name, but that, 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 who wasn't harmed in the lion's mouth, or wasn't harmed in the lion's den because their mouths were closed. He mentions, not by name again, but Daniel's friend, Shadrach, Meshach, Shach, and Abednego, or as my dad used to say, shake the bed, make the bed, and into bed you go. Did anyone else dad say that? Shake the bed, make your bed. Anyway, that's just my dad. Um, they, they were thrown into a fiery furnace, and the fire didn't harm them. Others escaped the edge of the sword, he said. Others were made strong in weakness. Others became mighty in war. Others put foreign armies to flight, and there were even some who, who, who were raised from the dead. Probably here he's referring to Elijah and Elisha, the prophets, who both like raise these mother's children back to life for them. 
And the point isn't to get us to think, whoa, look at these incredible uh, things these people did. Aren't they amazing? We aren't supposed to look at the people. The point is to draw attention to the fact that they did these things by faith. Now, maybe you think, well, that's, that's all well and good, um, you telling us that they did all these things by faith, but I'm not some character in the Bible. And I totally get that. I hear you. I feel that too. But they didn't know they were characters in the Bible. <laughs> They were living by faith. These are examples, uh, uh, these examples of the faith uh, of ordinary people. Ordinary people who trust God, trust and obey. That's it. None of them were perfect. Gideon was a shy farm boy. And by faith, he goes on to do something incredible and lead God's people to victory. But some of their flaws were, were horrendous. Gideon, after he had that amazing victory, he ends up inadvertently setting up a golden idol, which all of Israel comes and worships instead of God. David commits adultery with a married woman and then has her husband killed so he can move her into his house and be with her. Jephthah is, is, is it's gross. Like He sacrifices his own teenage daughter as a burnt offering. Because in, in some moment of bravado, he makes a stupid oath. And here's the point. That we probably all need to hear that this morning. You don't need to be perfect to have faith. You don't need to be perfect to have faith. It's not about how much faith you have or how strong your faith is. You know, some, one of the things that does my head in is when people say, you know, oh, just have more faith. You're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm trying. I don't know how to drum that up. But the point isn't about how much faith you have or how strong your faith is. It's not like a battery where you have to see how many bars have got left. It's about who our faith is in. And when our faith is in the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, we will prevail. We will conquer. The God that these Old Testament people had faith in is the same God who cannot change that we have faith in today. He's exactly the same. Romans 8 tells us that we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. We conquer through Him, not through us. In other words, it's not us who has the power. It's God who has the power. And we just believe. Now, what does this mean for us, this idea of conquering? Because sometimes we get a wee bit uneasy when we start all this faith and conquering talk, right? We rightly want to avoid the, the kind of health, wealth, and prosperity message. We do. We, we should. Living by faith, as we're going to see in a minute, often leads to suffering. But in our efforts to avoid the prosperity gospel, we put away the notion of conquering altogether. So either out of our lack of belief or, or our rejection of the prosperity gospel, we don't come anywhere close to a life of faith. And maybe you're thinking, so what? You're, you're saying that if I have faith, I'm, I'm going to raise the dead or I'm going to defeat lions or, you know, walk through fire. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I don't want to limit God. God can lead you into anything. But honestly, are those your real life battles of faith right now? I don't know about you, but I'm not anywhere on the level of being able to walk or of being required to walk through fire because I can't even trust God with the little stuff. For most of us, our faith battles are... Things like having enough faith to speak out about Jesus to our friends. Or having enough faith to trust God by giving generously, even if it's going to leave me short. 
Most of the time, we don't come close to the big stuff because we don't even have faith in the small stuff. And the reason we don't see big things happen is because we don't even have faith in the small things. But what I do know is that these Old Testament brothers and sisters of ours, because they are, and someday we'll be in heaven with them, and that's going to be incredible, they conquered by faith. It was their faith that led them to conquer. And so my point is, if they conquered in the big things, how much more through faith in the same God can we conquer in the small things in our life? Through faith in God, you can speak to your non-believing friend about Jesus. You can do that. You think, oh, it's impossible. Like, like that guy, he's, he's just never going to know Jesus. He'll never be saved. He'll never believe it. Well, it's not impossible because nothing's impossible with God. Through faith, you can. Through faith, you can do these things. Through faith, you can see conquering in your life. We share in a faith that conquers. We worship a conquering God, a God who conquered death. But the other side of living by faith is, is the, 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 what we see in the next set of verses. Because here we see that to our eyes, what is a, a more negative set of outcomes of living by faith. And this is living by faith that endures. Faith that endures. Let's look at what happens next. Because these people by faith did some incredible things. But also, let's look what happened. Start at the second half of verse 35. Or we'll start at verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release. Uh, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. I love that. He puts that in there. He's like, they're going through all this stuff, but you know what? God values them so much, they're not even worthy to be in the world. The world isn't worthy enough to have them. I love that. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now, one of the most important things to note here is that for our author or the preacher here, uh, this is not a new list. Like the way I've done where I've gone, it's this and then it's this. He doesn't even take a breath. In the middle of the verse 35, he mentions these women who, who through faith received back from their children from the dead. But there were other women who, who endured torture and did so gladly, refusing to give up because they knew that they would be raised to a new life in God. And when he lists all these horrible things that happens, his point is this. Living by faith doesn't always lead to deliverance in this life. Living by faith doesn't always lead us to deliverance in this life. Not all men and women of faith experience deliverance. All the way through this, we've seen examples of that. Will God always come through for his people? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. Will God always deliver those who have faith in him? Yes, no question. But will he always do it in this life? No. And the beautiful thing is that for those who are in Jesus, 
For those who have faith in God through the Lord Jesus, even death has been redeemed. So if you're trusting in Jesus, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you die. But in Jesus, death is just a doorway to heaven. Death is just a way to be with him. The grace of God is so, so good that even the worst part of life, death itself, has been turned into something that just brings you to his presence. Um, when I, if you know me, you'll, you'll know this is part of my story, but when my sister had leukemia, there was, I mean, people, literally friends around the world praying for her to be healed. I mean, lots, hundreds of people probably praying, and then after a few months she died. But even though, and even though she lived by faith, like she was a woman of God, God didn't deliver her in this life, but did God heal her? 100%. And she's more alive now than any of us. Like We're all getting older and sicker, and we're all one step closer to death. Sorry, but that's true. But she's perfectly and gloriously alive. And so you know what this means? It means that living by faith in God, we can endure anything. We can endure all kinds of suffering that come our way. You see, the mark of, of, of true faith is not deliverance from our difficulties. It's being faithful in our difficulties. That's what living by faith is. Not that we are removed from our difficulties, but that we can endure our difficulties. In other words, living by faith is not about avoiding suffering. It's about enduring suffering. The church of Jesus has always being full of people who are hopeful and suffering. This is who we are. We knew, I mentioned earlier, Antoine and Citadel in Turkey being persecuted because they love Jesus. Uh, they're joyful. They're just full of joy. They're just joyful people, happy and laughing and smiling. Not that they, not that they don't feel the weight or the gravity of their situation. They do, and they, and they want it to be different. But in the midst of that, they just love Jesus, and they're just joyful in the small things in life. And this is who we are. We know our future is secure in Jesus. And so no matter what comes along, we suffer with hope. Um, there, there's this guy in history called Polycarp of Smyrna. That means he's from a place called Smyrna. And he was a Christian in the second century. He was actually, it seems like, a disciple of John, you know, um, the Apostle John. And he was burnt at the stake for his faith. Actually, the story goes that after he was covered in oil and set on fire, the fire didn't burn him, so he was actually, they stabbed him to death in the end. But as he was tied to the stake and covered in oil and about to be set on fire, he was given one last chance to deny Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? Like even in the face of death, that's hope in suffering, isn't it? That, that we know that actually there's something worth more than my life even. And the world can't understand it. It makes no sense to be hopeful in suffering. This is why suffering well and enduring suffering with hope is such a good message to the world about the goodness of God. It's why when Peter is talking about suffering in 1 Peter 3, that he says that we should always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Now here's the thing. We'll often take the first part of this passage about the conquering and not the second, right? We, we all want the conquering. <laughs> we don't want the suffering. But there is a cost to following Jesus. And for so, so many Christians throughout history, and it's cost them 
everything. Not, not just this list of people in Hebrews 11 here. Christians throughout history have given everything because to them Jesus is more beautiful than anything else. They've seen them beaten, imprisoned, raped, tortured, family members killed. And, and you know what? I think that we often don't experience the full cost of following Jesus, not because we live in the West or we live in a Christianized country, but because we're probably not following Him fully. We think we're running the race, but, but actually we're in the back of the car having a nap. It's hoping that well, I'll jump out at the finish line and cross the line with everyone else. We need to ask ourselves, are we willing to follow Jesus and, and live by faith no matter what the cost is? Because if there's one point to this chapter of Hebrews, in fact, if there's one point to the whole book, yes, it's Jesus is better, but it's that Jesus is better than anything you will ever gain. And he's better than anything you will ever lose when you follow him. Jesus is better than anything you will ever gain. And he's better than anything you can ever lose. I was reading John Calvin this week, who was a pastor in the time of the Reformation, the 17th century. And he was a man who suffered. He was exiled from France. He couldn't go back. Um, he would send these people go back to France to plant churches and preach. And, and their average life expectancy was about 18 months before they were killed for the faith at that time. Um, he had personal suffering in his life as well. But, but I was reading what he was saying about suffering through faith this week. He says this, Though we might be reduced to poverty in the view of men, before God and heaven our riches are truly increased. We might be thrust out of our homes, but thereby we are drawn more intimately into God's household. We might be harassed and despised, but thereby we drive deeper roots into Christ. We might be branded with disgrace and dishonor, but thereby we gain a more honorable rank in the kingdom of God. We might be slaughtered, but there a door into the blessed life is open to us. Living by faith is realizing the, the truth that Jesus is better than anything we can ever gain and better than anything we will ever lose. So how can we have faith that conquers? How can we have faith that endures suffering? How can we run this race with endurance? And we do this. It's our last point this morning, living by faith that looks to Jesus. We look to Jesus. I'm going to read these two verses again because they're, they're just so powerful. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see what's going on here? The author, the, the preacher, he's actually connecting us with the Old Testament heroes of the faith, the saints who are examples of faith, and he's connecting us to Jesus, who is the, the pioneer of our faith and, and the one who completes it. These men and women of old conquered and endured by their faith in God. Even though they didn't have the full promises, right? This is what we see in verses 39 and 40 at the end of chapter 11. They didn't have the full promises of God. They didn't know the name Jesus of Nazareth. 
They knew that God had a future, yet they promised this Messiah, but they didn't have yet, yet have the Messiah. They lived at this time before Jesus, and still they ran with Jesus or endurance. And the point is, we do have the fullness of the promises of God. We know Jesus. We know the Messiah has come. We, we know him intimately. We know that Jesus lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven. We have the full story. And so if those people of old could run with endurance and conquer and endure suffering by faith, how much more can we run the race that is set before us? How do we run with endurance? There's two things that we have to do. It says here in these verses. Firstly, we have to get rid of everything that's holding us back. And then secondly, we have to look to Jesus. Uh, it, back in the, in the olden days, in the olden days, the days of yore, um, in the Roman Empire, um, in, the, in the original Olympics that came from Greece, um, the athletes, like our modern athletes, they would train, right? Um, they would certainly would. They would condition their bodies so they could run the race. But then uh, on the day of the race, just before the race started, they would, they would strip naked, right? They would take everything off. Now, uh, it, there's nothing gross about this. It's just that, you know, uh, lycra wasn't invented yet. So, uh, and they wore these togas and robes. And if you try to run in that, it's heavy and you get entangled. And so... Uh, in order to run fully and freely and as fast as possible and with endurance, they just got rid of everything, even their clothes. They exposed their own, their own, you know, their own shame or whatever you might call that. They, you know, their their dignity was gone. So determined that were they to run with endurance. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are the things that we need to strip off? Keep your clothes on, please. I'm just saying, what do we need to get rid of in our lives? What are the things that are holding us back from running fully? We have a race ahead of us. We are in the middle of a race. And it's going to be hard. And if we're going to conquer and we're going to endure, we need to be ready for it. Otherwise, we won't make the finish line. Now, I was thinking about, uh, there's, there's one, I love watching cycling. And there's one place where conquering and enduring suffering comes together. It's cycling. Um, and so uh, you see these riders as they approach a big climb at the end of a long day in the saddle. So they may have cycled 150 kilometers and then they have to climb up an alp on their bike, basically. And as they approach the mountain, they, they, they take on food and water and all this kind of stuff. But then as soon as they hit the climb, they empty their pockets. It all gets thrown away. They, they take out their water bottles and they throw them to the side of the road. They strip off every weight that will slow them down. Because the extra weight will prevent them from conquering and it will, will make their suffering actually worse. See, for most of us, I think, we don't even realize that we are carrying these extra weights, do we? We probably don't realize that, that, that we have these things that entangle us. And it can be little things. Things that aren't necessarily inherently bad. Yeah, of course we want to get rid of the sin in our lives. But there are other things that, that don't necessarily take us further away from Jesus, but they certainly don't take us any closer to Jesus. We need to ask ourselves, what are the things in our lives that distract us from running the race? What's preventing you from spending more time reading your Bible and praying? What's preventing you from doing that? What's preventing you from witnessing to your friends? What's preventing you from, from coming to the prayer meeting online? We're too busy. We're too tired. We're afraid of what people will think of us. 
Well, maybe if we look at these things in light of this lifelong race with eternal consequences, we'll realize that, that these are things that we can easily get rid of and throw to the side of the road in our pursuit of Jesus. Listen, church, it's time to get rid of the hindrances. And believe me, I'm talking to myself. It's time to get rid of the hindrances. It's time to get out of the car and start running again. Maybe you've never even started running. Maybe you're still on the starting blocks. And we need to examine our lives and, and, and ask ourselves, what do I need to give up in my pursuit of Jesus? And am I willing to give that up? And maybe for you it is something big. Maybe it's something you value dearly. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's even a relationship. But hear me when I say this. There is nothing that you can ever give up for Jesus that won't be worth it. What can be worth more than receiving the prize of Jesus himself at the finish line? He is more lovely. He's more valuable. He's more beautiful and more everlasting than anything that we choose over him. Jesus is better than anything you will ever gain and better than anything you will ever lose. And this is why our ultimate motivation comes from looking to Jesus himself. I just want to read this one more time because it's so good. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This word founder here, you know, it's not like a Steve Jobs kind of founder. It's, it's like a pioneer it's like uh, the first one to run the race. Jesus is the first one to run the race. He's the one that opens up the way, like the explorer who's going through the jungle and there's no path, but he, he hacks his way through and opens up a path. That's what this word means. Jesus opened the way to God by running the race before us. He blazed the trail. And he's also the one who, who ran the race to the finish line perfectly. He never got in a car. He never sat down. And Jesus says, Come and follow me. Run this race that I have ran before you. And yes, this will mean sacrifice. It will mean suffering. And here's something I was thinking about this week. We're so conditioned by society that suffering has to be avoided by all costs. That's what, that's what our world tells us, right? That any, any kind of discomfort or suffering is bad. That there can be no value in suffering or discomfort whatsoever. And so when we do face suffering as Christians, we think... Well, suffering is bad. We have to try to eradicate that because there's no way that this can be God's will for me. There's no way that suffering can bring anything good in my life. But Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, they must take up their cross and follow me. You know what a cross is? It's an implement of torture and execution. It's an invitation from Jesus that means if you want to follow me, you're going to die. An invitation to die to ourselves. Listen, if Jesus is our pioneer, if he's the one who created the path and we are to follow him, then we must walk the same path that he walked. And this begs the question, I think, is the reason that our lives are so comfortable that we're not really running the race? Do you know what I mean? Because when I see there's nothing in the Bible and there's nothing in history that tells me that that. Being fully sold out for Jesus leads to a comfortable life. If anything, it's exactly the opposite. If we're really sold out for Jesus, we probably would face more opposition and more suffering. Equally, if we're really sold out for Jesus, we, we would definitely see more conquering in our lives too. 
This is what we see in Jesus. Looked like Jesus had suffered and had failed in the grave. That was just the path that is conquering, wasn't it? See, for Jesus, the, the endurance and conquering are the same thing. You can't have any conquering without the endurance. And so here's the question I want to finish with today. Are we running the race or are we just running down the clock? Right? You know, football, if you watch football, you're not free as park the bus. <laughs> like any Spurs fans know all about that. Um, it's where you just kind of... It's where you kind of capitulate. It's where you, where you sit deep and, and just, you don't really attack. You're not, you're not going forward. Are, is that like our faith? Is that like the way we're living? Are we running the race or are we running down the clock? Are we running with endurance or are we just sitting in the back of the car? It's time to get your running shoes on. Now listen, don't be scared. Don't worry because Jesus has gone before us and the path is secure. The finish line is in sight. You see, how was it that Jesus endured his suffering? How did he make it to the finish line? Well, verse 2 tells us it was, it was the joy that was set before him. You see, the joy is the fuel for endurance. I've even seen that in Antoine and Citadel. Just go through a really tough time, stuff that I will probably never face, just full of joy. Joy is the fuel for endurance. And the joy that Jesus looked to, the joy that kept him going, was the joy of completing the work of salvation. The joy that motivated Jesus to endure all the suffering and all the shame was the joy of being with you. (laughs) That was his joy. He's like, if I go through all of this, I know I will be with you. And so it's worth it. It was his joy that fueled his endurance. When Jesus was on the cross... The thing that held him there was knowing that by enduring it all, he was making it possible for you to be with him. Isn't that incredible? This should motivate us to keep running. Let joy be the fuel for our endurance. We're so prone to, to looking at ourselves and, and looking at the magnitude of our suffering. I do this all the time. I, you know, I'm like, oh, aren't things so bad? Things are, I'm so tired. Things are so hard. I wish that person would do something differently. I wish this could be different. And when we do that, of course we'll give up. Of course we'll get in the back of the car. But the key to all of this is not to look to the magnitude of our suffering, but to look to the magnitude of our Savior. To to look not to the badness of our suffering, but to look to the goodness of Jesus. Um, We're we're working our way through the Chronicles of Narnia with with Finley and reading a chapter every night. And and in the silver chair, the second last book, right at the end, the the children get taken to Aslan's own country. And as Jill, the little girl in the story, is walking alongside Aslan. This is what happens. I try to read it to Finley every night. (laughs) She realizes that the more she looks at him, the more beautiful he becomes. The more, when she, it's like when she doesn't look at him, he's not as beautiful. But when she looks at him, the more she looks at him, the more beautiful he becomes. Church, if we are to endure, if we are to keep running, we need to look at Jesus and let him become more and more beautiful the longer we look at him. And the more we look at him, the more we'll see that he is worth running for. That he is worth enduring for. He let us be the joy that fueled his endurance, so let us do the same. Jesus is better than anything you will ever gain, and he's better than anything you will ever lose. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you did endure the suffering, that you went through it all so that you could conquer and secure our salvation. Jesus, it's just, it's just astounding to think that the joy that held, the joy that allowed you to endure was the prospect of being with us. Lord Jesus, instill that same joy that would fuel our endurance. Help us to live by faith, to, to see that conquering in our lives, to, to, to make a stand for Jesus, even in the small things. Lord, Lord I pray that for any of us that, that, that we are in the back of the car, that we would uh, not feel uh, that you're cross with us, but that we would feel encouraged to get out of the car and start running again, knowing that you will endure us, knowing that, that, that we can endure through faith in you. Help us, Lord, to live these lives of faith, faith that conquers, faith that endures, and faith that just keeps looking to Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us to never take our eyes off you and just become more and more beautiful to us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.